This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange traded funds with Global X ETFs. Exchange traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. Global X specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. The pandemic has forced nearly all of us to change the way we work. For me, this will be my 11th week hosting this podcast from inside a closet while my wife works from our kitchen table. And a few weeks ago, we asked you, our listeners, to tell us your stories about what that change has been like. When the coronavirus happened, it seemed as though our lives had changed overnight. My business took a huge hit, lost a lot of hours and therefore income. Honestly, for the past month, I've had a headache every day. How are we going to work from home and watch our nine-month-old? It was becoming very overwhelming. I didn't know how far down we may fall financially. I feel more responsible now for my students' emotional well-being than their academic learning. The lobby has this creepy silence for portions of the day. We're experiencing so many things that we would have missed if she was in daycare. I miss the inside jokes you build with repeat guests, the corporate groups in town for conferences or meetings. I live for those daily interactions. I feel guilty saying how tired I am and how exhausted I am because we are so lucky to have jobs. I have not adjusted to that as my new normal and I don't want to. What we heard from so many of you is that in big and small ways, the changes that we've gone through at work have been emotional. So we decided to talk to someone about why that is. I'm Esther Perel. I'm a psychotherapist, and I'm also the host of the podcast, Where Should We Begin and How Is Work? As a psychotherapist and author, Esther has spent the last three decades focused on relationships. And recently, through her podcast, How's Work, she's focusing on one of our most important relationships, the one we have with our jobs. Today, work for many people, certainly between 20s and 30s, becomes the central place where people find meaning, connection, belonging, identity, self-development, growth. I mean, an enormous amount of things that are beyond just making sure that you can pay your rent and support yourself. Esther says that because so many of us are emotionally invested in our work, an unexpected change can have a big impact. And the changes from this pandemic, they happened fast. These things don't just switch overnight, you know, we did it overnight. But that doesn't mean that we adapted overnight. That overnight change has looked different for different people. Millions of people have lost their jobs. Others are risking their health every time they step into their workplace. And while the country is starting to reopen, a lot of people will be stuck working from home for a long time. When you work from home, you have at least a hope that there is greater physical safety. And then the questions are more about how do you stay connected to your team? How do you structure your life? How do you find a sense of routine? People are not just simply working from home, but they are working with home. That at the same time, they have to parent and partner and be a colleague and be a performer and be a learner and a teacher, etc., etc. That all the roles have melded together in one place and it's a wash. Today on the show, a story about the unexpected emotions that come with working from home. 
and the anxieties of opening back up. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Tuesday, May 26th. One of the listeners who wrote in to tell us about how her job has changed is Kimberly Bradley. Hey, guys. Hello. She's an occupational therapist outside New Orleans and works mainly with children with disabilities. I don't have any kids of my own, but I always say that, I mean, I talk about them like they're my kids. So I have, you know, 100 kids that are mine. It's almost a selfish in a way because I get so much happiness and joy from working with these kids. As an occupational therapist, it's Kim's job to teach kids skills like how to hold a pencil or how to tie their shoes. And when Kim made the shift to working from home, she thought she was ready for it. We tried to be so prepared. Like we try to have all these handouts and videos and we had our Google Drive ready to go for our telehealth files. But moving over to video sessions brought new challenges that Kim had never had to deal with before. Wait a second. Can you get back in front of the camera? I can't see you or the shoe now. Okay, perfect. Thanks. You're welcome. With something like tying shoes, normally Kim would put her hand directly on the child's hand and physically guide them through the motions. It's called hand-over-hand assistance. One more time. Here we go. Make an X, loop it under, pull. But teaching a kid how to tie their shoes over video chat... It's as tough as it sounds. It is hard enough to teach it when you're in the presence of the child, but doing it over telehealth was nearly impossible. Try it. That double knot here. Here we come. It's frustrating because I just want to reach through the computer screen and (laughs) and help them do that. Push it through. We just have to sit back and laugh at the cuteness of the kids and sometimes and the things they say and the things they do. I did not realize how much I would miss that physical touch. And not just from, like I said, the hand over hand, teaching them how to hold the scissors or how to hold the pencil or, you know, how to tie their shoes. But it was the joy that we shared from the physical touch that we were missing so much. What surprised Kim wasn't just how hard it was to help her patients without using her hands. It was how hard it was to connect with parents without being in the same room. Not being able to give that parent that hug or when they get an evaluation back from the psychologist that they find out a new diagnosis that their child has. Not being able to hug them and comfort them and let them know it's going to be okay. That has been the hardest, hardest part. How do you feel at the end of each workday? For the first three or four weeks, I was pretty mentally drained to where I didn't want to talk with anyone after work. I'm handling that a lot better now, but it was not easy at first. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very extroverted person and always talking, you know, catching up with all my friends. And those first few weeks, they're like, what is wrong with you? Where? What's going on? I'm like, I can't. I, I can't. I just can't. Feeling exhausted by video chat is something that a lot of people have been going through. So when I video chatted with Esther Perel, I asked her why that might be. The screen is saps energy. It is exhausting. It's also exhausting to pretend that you're looking at people, but in fact, you'd never really make the eye contact. Hmm. And then you have to constantly read these faces. 
because you are actually on a delayed time. You don't literally see it in synchronous moment. It's not like being on the phone. People are exhausted to bring to life a device that is basically an inanimate object still. But you try through it to infuse it with energy, with reality, with aliveness, with feeling and all of that. Mm -hmm. So that's part of what is making it so exhausting. The other thing is we're not getting up. Normally you leave, you commute, you move from one place to another, you transition. You have a day at this moment sometimes without any transitions. Mm -hmm. You also have a day for many people without routines. Routines create structure. Structure creates freedom. It organizes us. Why do you think that this loss of physical connection is so hard for Kim and so many other people that are in this situation? Because, first of all, for Kim in particular, occupational therapy is an embodied practice. You do it through touch. You learn, as she says, hand over hand. It took her years to learn to practice occupational therapy. On what idea do we even imagine she could overnight learn to do it without the essential tool, which is the touch? It's irreplaceable. We are touch hungry at this moment all over the world. I mean, this is one of the major symptoms of the moment. That's an interesting way of putting it. Why, why, why does touch mean so much to us? Because touch is fundamental to the human experience. When we are not touched, we become irritable, we become depressed, we become aggressive. Touch is the essential way that we can calm our nervous system or one of them. And touch is a fundamental form of experiencing closeness, connection, groundedness, care, love, security. That list is long. What can people do about that to compensate for this lack of touch? Ah, look, the word that you use is good. It's compensate because it's not going to replace it. So there is ways that we learn to give ourselves hugs, to actually really put our hands on our own body. There is water, showers. For some of us, it's hot showers. For some of us, it's cold showers. And we use our imagination to replace the lack of the physicality, as we have always done, by the way. So a lot of the listeners who wrote in, including Kim, also talked about the satisfaction that they get from delivering a service to a customer, whether that's a student or their patient or just somebody who, you know, if they work at the front counter at a hotel, just the guests that come in. What do you think people derive from the relationships, even if those very brief transactional ones that they get from helping people in the work setting? The first thing is the connection, the contact, the simple pleasure that people get from human contact and from the variety of the human experience. Different customers come in, different stories get told. The day goes by fast. You know, you are engaged. If you like people, if you like to service, it is a thrill. If you then on top of it like to help, it is the most powerful antidepressant. It gives meaning to one's life to help other people, to do for others, to improve their life, to solve their problems. And when you have that sense of meaning, there's a sense of purpose. You have a reason to wake up in the morning and to get out of bed because you know that you're going to do something that gives you a sense of importance that matters to others and that has value, that is socially relevant. So what can we do about it? 
<laughs> Not everything has a solution. That's a very American way mm. to ask a question, you know. <laughs> These are solutions. Mm -hmm. We want the Zoom and the online means that we have and the Google Chats and all of that. We want them because they are allowing us to stick, you know, the very devices that not too long ago we would have talked are making us disconnected are at this moment maintaining the, uh, the deep connections that we have. For many workers, these tech solutions aren't just temporary fixes. They're going to be a big part of their work lives for the foreseeable future. Many companies have already told employees to expect to work from home through the end of the year. And some companies like Twitter and Facebook have said they'll make a permanent shift toward doing more work remotely. Meanwhile, other businesses are making the opposite leap. They're reopening their physical locations and getting back to work in person. It's a leap that Kim made last week, but it comes with its own set of challenges. My anxiety was so high. I was so nervous. Oh my God, did I wipe off that service? Did I wipe off this service? Did I get they use hand sanitizer? What else did they touch? That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. After hearing about all the challenges Kim had been dealing with while working from home, we checked back in with her last week to see how she was doing. So right after I talked with y'all, I probably had one of the worst weekends I've ever had. I was beyond depressed, lonely. Like I hadn't hugged my parents. I hadn't hugged my friends. I just hit rock bottom. Kim felt like something big had to change and she saw a possible opportunity. Louisiana was set to reopen many businesses on May 15th, so Kim started asking families of her patients about how they'd feel if she reopened. And a lot of them gave her the thumbs up. So Kim got on a Zoom call with her staff to talk things through. I was just like, listen, guys, I know we talked about June 1st as our opening, but I'm starting to talk to my families about how they feel about coming into the office starting next week. How do y'all feel about that? Are y'all comfortable with that? Because we're not moving forward if you don't. They were like, absolutely, you know, because I'd originally said June 1st and they were afraid to tell me, oh my gosh, June 1st is way too far away. Can we do something about this? All of us were really, really struggling with our creativity and being able to have effective therapy with a lot of our kids. And we all agreed to bump it up. 
they decided to slowly restart in-person sessions on May 18th. For now, only one therapist takes appointments per day. They're staggering appointment times and doing curbside pickups and drop-offs to maintain as much social distancing as possible. What was it like when you walked into your clinic again for the first time and, and had a session? I cried for a few minutes. I collected myself. I cleaned everything and made sure we were ready to go. And the first kid I saw, she had the biggest smile on her face. She was one that was really, really, really starting to regress. So she was the first one that came back to see me. But right out of the gate, Kim was faced with the kind of choice that will inevitably come with reopening. She asked if she could give me a hug. And I asked, I'm like, can I, can I give her a hug? And my mom's like, absolutely, you can hug her. Kim says her emotions swing from relief and happiness to anxiety about whether she's doing enough to keep everyone safe. Because my anxiety was still, like, I'd get this little, you know, spot of happiness. And then, like, oh, my God, I got to keep track of everything she touches. I have to really, really pay attention to every single thing she's doing while we're in there to make sure that we're okay. And just starting to worry, like, are our kids going to be okay? I don't, like, would do anything to protect them from that. Kim's fears are shared by some of her patients' families. Not everyone is ready for their child to restart in-person sessions yet. Some families just aren't ready to make that jump into exposing themselves out in the real world and still want to stay home. It's interesting we're kind of in this, like, moment right now where there's some reopening, but it's uneven, and families and patients feel about it differently. What's your sense of this moment where it's sort of choppy? It's hard to say because we reopened in New Orleans and, yeah, I went to a restaurant on a Friday night with a friend and was dying to get out and to have someone bring me food, to order a cocktail. But I'm also, I'm so nervous. Like, what is it going to be in two weeks when we are going to see? I know it's going to spike. I know the cases are going to come up. I'm worried about the kids. What's going to happen? It's the unknown. It's the uncertainty. But it did, it also felt really good to sit down at a restaurant and see my friends. In the coming weeks, many people will be figuring out how they feel about starting to re-engage with society, how much in-person contact we're ready for. Every state in the U.S. has now taken some steps to reduce restrictions, and I talked with Astaire about how people might feel about navigating that. What advice do you have to somebody who is feeling risk-averse and doesn't want to re-engage with the economy or go out or go back to work, and they have a boss or a spouse or a loved one who's saying, come on, let's go do something, but you're feeling af- too afraid to do that? I think there are two, there are probably more than two, but there are two immediate kind of situations that come to mind. One is that there are people who probably have actually enjoyed this quite a bit. It's been good for them to slow down, to be home, to reconnect with their children in ways that they haven't, or just to slow down, period. And they're not eager to run back. And they can talk about it as a risk issue, but it's not only a risk issue. It's also that they really are thinking, what's the life that I want to live? And do I have a choice about that? And then there are people who really would like to feel as if if suddenly I will only go out when I'm 100% sure. 
And this isn't going to happen right now. It never is. It never is. That's the reality. Do, do you think that the pandemic will in any way permanently change our relationships with our work? I think the pandemic will change some things that we don't fully know to predict in advance. I think there's going to be a major shift towards technology. On the one hand, its usefulness is undebatable. And on the other hand, its vulnerability and its uh, liability is also undebatable. Mm -hmm. So this is where it is a wonderful thing, the future. It means that you have to go there in order to know it. You can't always just <laughs> predict it. <laughs> yeah, I like that. You have to go there in order to know it. So what do, you, what do you think when this is all over? What do you think you'll take? You'll have taken away from this period? Every pandemic, every disaster is going to do two fundamental things to people's life. One is it's going to help you think about the essential. What are the priorities? What really matters? And it's going to often lead you to throw the superfluous overboard. You get a real sense of what's important here. And it functions as an accelerator in relationships. And that is true with work as well. Because you have a sense of mortality. Life is short. It could end at any moment. And so you start to say, what am I waiting for? You start to readjust. It's an accelerator toward beginnings and it's an accelerator toward endings. Esther, this was so great. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. A pleasure to talk to you. That's all for today, Tuesday, May 26th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Gimlet distributes Esther Perel's two podcasts, How's Work and Where Should We Begin? You can listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to everyone who sent us their stories. We received many more than we could fit in here. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.